You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. So one of the biggest questions, uncertainties, and doubts that many students have is, how can I do it? You know, how can I stay the course to get the results of the practice? And the most important thing that you can do to maintain the result of the practice, so for example, if you want to do a posture that's really difficult for you, if you want to get a deeper back bend, if you want to, you know, just experience some of the more subtle benefits of the yoga practice, what do you have to do? You know, do you have to change your whole life? Do you have to change everything? I mean, on some level, yes, to be honest with you, but not like this, not like the snap of a fingers. The most important element to experiencing the benefits of yoga is consistency plain and simple. Just like any other daily activity that you do to get the most benefit from something requires consistency. One of the most basic analogies that I like to make about the practice is that it's not something special. It's not something extraordinary. While at the same time, we know it's special and extraordinary. If we treat it like some precious object that we can only approach if we meet all of the various kind of you know, um, the various kind of tests that would deem us worthy to practice yoga. So what are these tests, right? If I'm flexible, then I can practice yoga. If I, if I, if I, if I, if I don't have any injuries then I can practice yoga, if I'm the right size or shape, then I can practice yoga. If I, you know, uh, if I can do these movements and I can come and practice yoga, if I'm a good person, then I can come and practice yoga, but none of that is true. The only thing that matters is consistency. So we have to remove the idea that it is some special, extraordinary thing for the chosen few, and that you can only enter the domain of yoga after passing these litmus tests of purity. In fact, it's the opposite of that. You should come to the practice when you feel stiff. You should come to the practice when you feel tight. You should come to the practice when you're angry and depressed and defeated and anxious and all of the opposites of what we read about as constituting a yogi. Because at that moment, you'll know that yoga practice is a consistent part of your daily routine or ritual of spiritual cleansing or spiritual practice. And this is super important. One of the most basic analogies that I like to make is that the yoga practice is when ritualized, very much like brushing your teeth. So there's no special extraordinary feat that needs to happen for you to brush your teeth. You don't need to only brush your teeth when you've been to the dentist, but you leave the dentist a little inspired to brush the teeth. That's for sure, right? Everybody, after you get your teeth cleaned, you're like, yes, I'm going to do so well. And then it deteriorates until you again visit the dentist and then they make some notes on your chart. Oh, plaque level, quite high, surprisingly high. Are you flossing every day? Yes, every day. Every day, morning, evening, lunchtime also, why not? Floss all the time. And we leave yoga workshops and yoga class with that little bit of inspiration. But still, we maintain the brushing the teeth every day, morning and evening. But like this, the yoga practice needs to be ingrained in the fabric of who we are so that the consistency doesn't require this massive effort. 
Yes, we have to think, now I brush my teeth, but it's not this heroic struggle of now I'm going to go for the toothbrush and get out this old toothbrush and here we go, just to brush your teeth. It's not a drama, you know, unless you're three years old, then maybe it's a drama, but now it's not a drama. So in the yoga practice, once you have consistency built into the fabric of your being, it requires less effort and it just begins to be a ritualized behavior that's a part of who you are. And at that moment, the deeper benefits of the practice start to accumulate. As long as we're still struggling and fighting with, should I practice today? Should I do it? Should I get on the mat? I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Oh, I ate too much last night. I'm not going to practice. How many of you have not practiced because you ate too much the night before? Almost everybody. You know, I've been on these, think about practice the next morning. Oh, no. Some people, uh, you know, say that they've gone to a wedding or something like that. And then they, they had been fed food at a very late hour. And because you wanted to show respect to the wedding and you've eaten some large, uh, you know, banquet of food items that you wouldn't normally eat, much richer than you would normally eat. And you tried to get up and practice the next morning and you thought, oh, no, the banquet is still with me. I better stay in the bed, right? So in this way, but let me ask you, that morning, did you brush your teeth? Yes, we have brushed the teeth that morning because it's so much a part of our ritual, we can't imagine. Definitely after a giant banquet, you need to brush your teeth because the, the residue is still there. So if we, if we then can understand, oh, even this practice where I can't do anything, this is my consistency. This is my, this is just my ritual of getting back onto the mat every day, no matter what it is. As long as in your mind, you have this idea, I'll only practice if I can hit all of these boxes. I'll only practice only counts when I jump back every single time. Practice only counts when I put both legs behind my head. That doesn't work. To be honest with you, I practice consistently. I have a good discipline. Once, once I take on a rule or something that I say, this is what I'm going to do. For me, if anything, I have a hard time not doing it. And I know not everybody is like that. For example, my husband is not like that. He looks at me and he's like, you're just, you're just going to get up and practice right now. Absolutely. But don't you feel like jet lag? We just came from USA. Yes, Tim, I'm practicing now. Okay, I'll do it later. You know? And then what happens sometimes is you know, that I finished and then I said, do you want to go get coffee? And he said, I'm going to practice. Are you sure? And then I become the temptation because I've already practiced. He said, where are you going to get coffee? Oh, you know, it's a little coffee shop down the street. Oh, maybe I need a day off to recover from the jet lag. Yes, this is reasonable. I'll go for coffee with you today. But then the next problem is I'm doing this every day to him. You know, I practice early. And, and at some moment, I said, wow, even my dad said to me, I don't know where you get this from. Not from me. You know, many people spend the whole lifetime with the intellectual knowledge. If only I could do this, I know it would be good for me. If only I could do this, I know it would be good for me. I know yoga is good. There are people who are great spokes, you know, spokespeople for yoga. They're a spokesperson for yoga, but they don't do it themselves. Yoga is so good, so wonderful. I see so many people, they practice, they get so much of benefit. I've got this friend, they practice yoga. Oh, how about you? Yes, I'm going, I'm going, definitely. I'm going tomorrow. Have you been lately? Oh, not in a while, but it's so good. I really believe you should do it. You should go and do it and you should also do it. What about you? Yes, I'm going tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Or some people intellectually, they just can't find the discipline. And then what ends up unfortunately happening is on some level, we have a type of thinking we engage in that prevents us from actually just doing the consistent daily ritual. And that's that type of thinking I was talking to, what talking about before, which sort of sets up this all or nothing thinking. 
I'm either going to go to practice and I'm going to hit everything or I'm not going to do it at all. And it's a form of self-sabotage rooted in a little bit of a lack of self-worth, setting impossibly high standards for yourself to achieve. I'm either going to do everything and be the best or I'm not worthy and I'll do nothing. And this, of course, we're never the best. We're never worthy. You know, we're always a bumbling, stumbling fool on the mat, myself included. You know, we always make mistakes and forget a posture and miss this vinyasa or do a bad breath there or think about our breakfast when we should be thinking about our marichasana D or something like that. And, and if we come up with this all or nothing thinking, either it's perfect or it's nothing, then there's no way we'll keep the consistency, which is really the magic element of the practice. My teacher, Pratavi Joyce, used to tell the students all the time, take practice every day, practice every day, whole lifetime, take practice, some small benefit there for you. Right? So first of all, whole lifetime, take practice. We take that in, whole lifetime, take practice. So many students would come to Patabi Joyce and ask him questions like, when am I going to put my legs behind my head? When am I going to finally learn second series? When am I going to be able to teach the Sashtanga yoga? When am I going to get the results? It's the classic show me the money question. You know, look, I've been at this for 10 years. Why is it I don't have anything to show for it? You know, why is it that this person can put their leg behind the head, but I cannot? Why does this person jump back, but I cannot? So when will I get it? And he would always say, you take practice whole lifetime, whole lifetime, take practice, some small benefit there for you. He never promised you put your legs behind your head. He never promised you get this perfect jump back. He never promised this or that some small benefit there for you. What is the small benefit? If we're working with not only the body, but the fabric of our mind, our emotions, and whatever lessons or life lessons we've come into this planet to learn, this is the benefit of the yoga practice. And we must be consistent because the patterns that are at work in our mind, in our body, in our spirit are so strongly ingrained in this lifetime, in many lifetimes, in the genetic history that we've received in our DNA, is up, we are up against that. And if we don't persistently and consistently work, we will just backslide into a recidivism of what is called attachment and aversion. We'll go back into our old patterns. Just like if you stop brushing your teeth, at any moment, plaque starts to accumulate. You know, just because you've been really disciplined and brushed your teeth for 20 years, you can't stop. You know, at any moment, the plaque is there waiting, just hanging out, ready to accumulate all over your teeth. And the moment you stop brushing, the moment the dentist is going to say, listen, mister, you know, if you stop brushing your teeth, look, I did it for 20 years. <laughs> look, I have to stop by now. 20 years of going in and out. I school, I hear, I flush this tooth, that tooth. I go left side, the right side, or this side. It's too much. I have to stop this business. It should be good by now. You know, that's a so no. Plaque is waiting for you at any moment. Those old patterns, they come back. Your yoga teacher is the same way. Oh, you practiced for 20 years. Now you stopped. Guess what? You've lost all the ground you gained. This is what Patanjali calls anavashtitatvani, which is the Sanskrit word for losing the ground gain or inability to attain firm ground or, or the English word recidivism, backsliding. When we attain this ground, oh, look, look how good I am. I practiced every day for 20 years. Then suddenly... Oh, too much. I'm going to do something fun now. Give me something fun. What is fun? Is there some activity that's not so intense, make me do every day, something I do just once a week, maybe it's better for me. At that moment, all the old patterns start coming back, back, back. So my teachers said, we're up against this. Sometimes, the longer you practice, 
the more difficult it is to keep your inspiration renewed because the honeymoon period of your practice is over. Now you know all the problems with the practice. Now you know that maybe that jump pack is never coming for you. Maybe you know that, you know, the leg behind the head, eh, eh, only pain coming for me. Maybe you see people new to the practice, doing all the things that you've spent 20, 30 years doing. At that moment, it's so hard to keep the consistency beyond the disillusionment. When your heroes become human beings, and they're no longer the saints walking on the realms of the lotus flowers. It's so hard to think there is still some benefit there because in the mind, there's always this idea. Maybe if I practice, I'm going to get samadhi in this lifetime. Maybe if I practice, I'm going to be the next Buddha. There's some ego in all of us that's thinking that, or maybe it's me, maybe it's me. But after 20 years, if you learn one thing, you only learn maybe one thing, which is that it's definitely not me. You know, and then to keep the inspiration, but I'm going to practice anyway. We remember Patabi Joyce's words, whole lifetime take practice, some small benefit there for me. I am not going to attain the Buddhahood in this lifetime, but definitely I'm going to work on stopping the plaque from accumulating on, you know, the, the outline of my spirit and my soul that I can do. Right. So it's said traditionally, how much enlightenment do you have? You have the, as much enlightenment as how much anger, fear, anxiety, depression you have worked on to remove within yourself. That much light can shine through you. How many suitcases of anger, attachment, aversion, hatred, animosity generated towards yourself or generated towards another being that you carry around with you to that degree it obscures or blocks the light from shining within you. So consistency is very important, right? Consistency is very important. Patabi Joyce used to say one sutra almost all the time when the students would ask, when is it coming for me? Excuse me, my teacher, when can I do lotus position? When can I start second series? When is it happening for me? And then, you know, in English, she would say, as I've already said to you, Take my whole lifetime, take practice, some small benefit there for you. In the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, he would quote, Satu Dirgakala, Nairantardia, Satkara Sevito, Drudabhumihi, which his translation of was not exact, you know. So we're going to look a little bit at what this Satu Dirgakala uh, Sutra means. Satu Dirgakala, take practice for a long time. Dirgakala means one lifetime. So the Kala, this measurement of time, is usually considered one entire human lifetime from start to finish. Satu dirgakala, or we can think of 100 years, something like that, right? So I take practice for a long time. This is number one. Nairantardia, consistency without break and on stop, which means two things. Number one, I'm going to do my practice as is recommended six days a week. I'm going to do the physical asana practice six days a week. I'll do my meditation practice every single day because the mind never rests, but the body needs a rest once a week. And this night on Tardia means that getting on the mat, meditation cushion every single day. However, it also means I will remember the teaching of yoga off the mat when I talk to people and I interact in my daily life, this night on Tardia without break. Satu Dirgakala, night on Tardia. Satkara with an intention, with heart, with feeling. I'm going to put my heart and soul into the practice. I'm going to give of everything I am and hold nothing back. So what you give into the yoga practice with the intention of awakening, then the yoga practice gives you back. But if the intention is not there, you can be coming to the practice. It's like working and working and working and running towards a destination, but having marked the wrong destination. 
Anybody ever tried that just on like Google Maps? Like you rush towards some destination and then you suddenly realize, ooh, I have gone to the wrong destination. <laughs> you know, it's so disappointing. Now I am late. I was early, but now I'm late. Poor me. I did that once while teaching a workshop. I have driven to West Palm Beach, which is like a, maybe something like two hours from here. And I have been early. But then I come to this location that was definitely not a yoga center. And then I have realized I am late now. Not only am I not going to arrive in time, but I am lost. So definitely I am late. I have to call. I have no idea where I am. And it's one small mistake on the address. I think I put court instead of road. And then I have ended up in some place that was definitely not the location of a yoga center. Um, some moth place in West Palm Beach where there was a train track and some sad looking dilapidated buildings that looked inhabited, you know, uninhabitable. And then I had from this place somehow uh, find the way. And there was also very little reception over there. So I had to call to get human directions. It's very disappointing, very disheartening. And unfortunately, this can also happen in the yoga practice. This is why we say that lineage is important when we think about intention. What advertisements do you respond to? A friend of mine was saying to me that in his city where he's teaching, they have only one other yoga studio. And the other yoga studio that have put on the windows of their yoga studio, that's the advertisement they show uh, in big letters, look better naked, right? So it's the advertisement for the yoga studio. And he was talking to me, but I said, this is the atmosphere that I'm teaching yoga in. And said, their classes are totally packed. Everybody's in there trying to look better naked, you know? And he has on the outside of his, you know, space, you know, six days a week, take practice, you know? And it's not so exciting, you know? Look better naked or show up every day and suffer, you know? Which are you going to go to? Which is your intention, means which does your spirit respond to? Obviously, when we think look better naked, all of our attachments and aversions and identifications with the ego spring up. Well, that could be nice. I might like that. You know, that could be something positive. I would be more attractive, you know, to any romantic being that I might be with. Wonderful. You know, I would look better for myself. I would put on all sorts of fun things at the beach and look better naked, right? But it's speaking to craving and clinging. It's speaking to ego attachment and identification, which needs no help, right? That you can find in every situation, in any situation. However, practice six days a week with your intention, with your heart and soul. This means something else. So, sarkara sevito. And then what Patanjali says in this instance is druda bumihi. Then our practice reaches what's called a firm ground. Druda bumihi. Druda firm bumihi, the ground. Um, and when we have a firm ground, this is a concept that's very important in the spiritual teachings of the East. Also, you can find it in the, in the teachings of the West and the Judeo-Christian universe as well. So the, the firm ground means that you finally stand in your spiritual practice on a place that can withstand the storms of life. This means that you won't lose your consistency no matter what happens. An injury comes, you keep practicing. Difficulty comes, keep practicing. A giant banquet at a wedding, you keep practicing. You don't lose your consistency once you reach the firm ground. You cannot not practice at this point. Druda bumihi is what we're looking for. We can take the analogy 
from the Judeo-Christian universe, you could say this as building a house of faith on a rock that will not be submerged in any floods that come. So it's this idea of some firm ground that we stand on. This firm ground that we build in the yoga practice comes from our effort, our determination. We create that and build that each time we get on the mat and we continue the practice. So we have to remember that this is hard work. Consistency is something that doesn't come from the outside in. And in fact, in periods where you feel the most inconsistent, that is the opportunity for you to work on the obstacles to your consistency. Understand? It's not that it's a bad thing in that moment. Exactly at the time when the, everything is hitting, you've got an injury, difficult life situation, suddenly you're broke, you cannot afford to go to yoga class anymore. Then you feel, oh, no, this is horrible. You lose your accommodation. Suddenly you have no place to stay. And then how can you practice? We had a student of ours that suddenly got kicked out of his accommodation and he had no place to live. And he needed to couch surf from one place to another, one place to another. But this man, he found a way to unroll the mat. He went to a park and put the yoga mat on a park and then started to do the practice there. He said, I cannot not practice. I'm going to take this practice because it's the consistent thing in a world of inconsistency. And so it's extremely important to think of, oh, this obstacle to my practice, this time when I'm feeling like I hate yoga, everything is miserable on the mat. This is a wonderful opportunity for me to work with that very mindset, which would destroy my practice. I know I'm going to work on this all or nothing mindset. It's either perfect or I quit. I either have the ideal situation or I don't do it. No, no, I will work on that. Here's this practice. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, I have hatched in my mind that I was going to do a very rigorous practice. I had this moon day where we did this resting on the moon day in the Ashtanga method. And then I thought, oh, now I have rested yesterday. I'm going to do a very rigorous practice. And then I started the practice and my body said, no, you will not. <laughs> this is 100% not happening today. The type of practice you will do will be a lot of modifications, a lot of easy things that you don't like to do. And in fact, you will end with meditation, breathing, and lying on a block. You know, and there was something inside of me that felt like, oh, this is bad. Oh, I should be doing more. I should push myself. This too is practice. So it's very important to understand that consistency is not hitting the home run every time. It's just getting on the mat. That's it. You're on the mat. It counts. That's it. You have to, I mean, it has to be some time limit also. I would say minimum five minutes. You can't like stand on the mat and be like, there. I've stood on it today, you know, that doesn't count. Like same thing with brushing your teeth. You have to hit every tooth, you know? So, you know, you can't just do the front teeth because that's what people see. You have to do all the teeth. So it's the same thing. You have to spend some minimum amount of time on your mat. So I say five minutes as a minimum. What can you do in five minutes? Okay, sun salutations. Usually people who struggle with discipline sometimes think like this. I can't do it all. There's so many asanas. I can't, I can't face it. There's too many of them. So what's usually a very good idea is to set yourself up with a five-minute test. Today, I'm getting on my mat. I'm just going to do the sun salutations. Then you have to give yourself permission at the end of the sun salutations to actually stop. Okay, I've done the sun salutations. Now I'm going to check in with myself. Shall I stop? And if the answer is yes, you stop. But usually we are creatures of habit. As soon as the body starts going, you finish the sun salutations, you ask yourself, do you want to stop? 
usually the body will say, no, just do these stupid standing poses. How long can this take? And then you have to ask yourself again. After the standing poses, I'm going to ask myself, should I stop? Then you finish. Oh, look, I may as well do a few more. Then you go like this, little by little, little by little, breaking it up into chunks. And then suddenly you're finished with primary series. And it's every time you, give, you have to give yourself actual permission. Now I stop. And as soon as you say, you, you, you want to stop? No, no, I keep going, right? And sometimes, though, however, you may actually stop. And that has to be okay as well. That's a really good tip to work with if you feel overwhelmed by the enormity of the practice. Whenever you're practicing on your own, remember five minutes counts as consistency of practice. It's very important. People often ask me, have you gone through periods where you didn't practice? I went through a period of my life, particularly when I started teaching a lot, where I felt really uninspired to practice. And it was during that period that I remember Patavi Joyce's words of, Sun salutations are a complete practice. And I did sun salutations, standing poses, and closing poses for about a month. And then suddenly, from somewhere inside of myself, the desire came back. Okay, I better do a few more. I want to do a few more. I want to do that again. I also had a ticket to go to India. So I knew that it was coming. You know, So then suddenly, I thought, I better start adding these asanas on. Otherwise, I'm going to fly to India. And then not only will I be suffering from jet lag, but I will be suffering in numerous ways. And I just started to genuinely want uh, to want to practice more. Consistency is helpful with a community. That community can be virtual. You can reach out to people who are far away, that are your yoga friends that can keep you consistent to practice. Community can be as we are today in person so that you come and you see familiar faces and the energy of the group keeps you going. You will always do more in class than you will on your own because the energy of the group lifts you up. The teacher is important with consistency, but it's not the teacher's responsibility to keep you consistent. Don't expect the teacher to send you text messages. Hey, where were you yesterday? How's it going? I didn't see you. Two days go by. Two days go by. I didn't see you. What's going on? No, it's not the teacher's responsibility to make you consistent. But sometimes the teacher will notice that you're not there, right? And that's interesting. I remember sometimes... Um, in the Ashtanga practice, we take as uh, we take what is off, what uh, we take the days of the menstrual cycle off. And uh, in India, Patabi Joyce would sometimes notice that I wasn't there, and uh, I would feel like I'd gotten in trouble at first. You, where are you yesterday? You didn't take practice. No practice yesterday. Ladies' holiday. That's what he called it. So you just say ladies' holiday. So what turned into getting yelled at? Oh, ladies' holiday. Oh, good. Oh, good, good. Oh, you think? Wonderful. Now, one day, ladies' holiday uh, was wonderful. Uh, many women in the beginning or many you know, people who menstruate don't often want to take it. You're so enthusiastic. I don't want to miss a day of practice. I went through that. After about 10 years, you're like, when, uh, when are the days off that are, were, that are part of the method, that I'm following the method by sleeping in? Can we just put all of those on the calendar and I'll, I'll follow this method with all my heart? right? So do your meditation practice on those days. So there was one day in India, and I think I've said this before, but there was six, we were there for six months. Uh, Tim and I together were there for six months. And we had like four months where all the moon days fell on the regular rest days. So this means six days, six day a week, 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 just on and on. Everyone was getting so tired. Everybody was tired. Everybody was tired, except anyone who could take ladies holiday. <laughs> I never took three days ladies' holiday before, rather three days. I take all the rest days, three days. I take two days, something like this. Okay, three days, right? Three days. On the first day, Tim said to me, what are you doing? I'm taking ladies' holiday. 
I'm sleeping in. Oh, he looked at me. I could see the look. The I want to stay for coffee look. No, you go. You don't have a ladies' holiday. Leave me alone. Close the door. Turn off the light. I kicked him out of the bed. Then he went to practice. Second day, same thing. He looked at me. You're taking a second day of sleeping. Yes, three days. Ladies' holiday. Go to practice. And the third day, he couldn't take it anymore. He said, I'm also taking ladies' holiday with you. <laughs> I am taking this with you. And he slept in with me. And then the next day, Patabi Joyce, Joe, you three days don't come. Why you ladies' holiday? Oh, very good. So good student. Pointed at Tim, you did not take practice yesterday. Bad man. What you did? He said, uh, ladies' holiday, emotional support. Oh, husband holiday. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, he accepted it. But uh, uh, <laughs> so the teacher, right, knowing that the teacher is going to notice that you're not there, this brings a little motivation. Oh, I better go. I better go. They're going to notice I'm not there. Almost, in the, you know, and especially in certain circumstances, you know, the teacher is there. You drag yourself to the class somehow. Even if you just sit on the mat somehow, you know, they're expecting you. This is part of the Sangha, but a little bit different, um, you know, because of a slightly different relationship between community and authority. So this is important to understand that consistency is not the responsibility of the teacher, but that the teacher can help you, keep you accountable, creates accountability. The community uplifts you when you know that there are other people who share your struggle and share the process with you. And so those are two elements that can really help you with consistency. Um, of course, repetition, just doing it over and over again, but that's your part, what you bring to the equation. How are you going to keep yourself consistent? So if we're putting the consistency outside of ourselves, we rely on the teacher, we rely on the community, most of it has to come from within. Most of it has to be the self-spark of initiation. You have to find that within yourselves. So remember, Satu Dirgakala, long time, long time, Dirgakala, whole lifetime, take practice, Nairantardia, without break. I commit to that. Every time you get on the mat, you recommit to Nairantardia, Satkara, with the right intention. Every time you do the opening prayer, you commit to that deeper intention of the spiritual practice over and over and over again. You have to recommit every single day. Keep that spark, that catalyst of practice lit within yourself. It's easier to keep the fire lit than it is to try to restart it. And this is my biggest advice to you. If you have a consistent practice, do everything within your power to maintain that consistency. If you lose your community, find a new community. If you lose your teacher, find a new teacher or keep a contact with that teacher somehow. If you feel yourself waning, you feel the spark going away, investigate, why am I losing the spark? Is it disillusionment? Is it doubt? Is it disappointment? Is it because I'm injured? Is it because I'm holding myself up to a high standard? Is it because I think practice should be this way and I don't fit that mold? Investigate, but do everything within your power not to lose the consistency, the inertia once it's started. Because after that train slows down and comes to a stop and gets rerouted and diverted to another destination, it is hard to make it go back. It is hard to get that fire started again. If we think about fire, we're looking for the fire to be ignited within ourselves, that spark of illumination. And then that spark is purification, but ultimately blooms as the light of knowledge if the spark of the fire within goes out, we have to find a way to reignite that spark. We can do it ourselves. 
It must eventually come from ourselves, but it's hard to light the fire by yourself. You ever, anyone ever tried to light a fire with two sticks? Anyone tried, ever tried, did it succeed? No, no, I, I, I have watched him try. Um, <laughs> it, did, it did not succeed. Now have these wonderful inventions called lighters, you know, and then like, even that's a little hard. Have you ever tried it unsuccessfully? It was like lighter and it just gets the thumb totally raw. It's a terrible situation. So even that is hard. So imagine this, that a world without lighters, fire is precious, right? We have to sit there. It's better to tend the fire and keep it lit than to let it burn out and sit there with the two sticks trying to get it reignited. There are, of course, a couple of ways you're on your own. You notice, oh, my fire is dimming. What can you do? This is why the teacher must maintain the light. So you go near the teacher and you take your little stick and you put it in the candle and then it's easier to light. So a fire that is lit can share the light more easily. The community together, all of the lights which are burning within the community, you can go and get a little inspiration from this one, a little inspiration from that one. It rubs off. Even the teacher is benefiting from the community. When I'm teaching, I'm inspired by the students. Imagine if no one shows up. How does the teacher feel? Those of you who are teaching, you know how it feels when no one shows up. Oh, wonderful, I'm gonna teach. You show up. Oh, nobody's there. Oh, oh, poor me. You know, then you feel like, hmm, I guess I'll go get coffee and donuts. I don't know, you know? I recommend for every teacher that shows up, you have no one there. In your mind, you teach the class for five minutes. You do also consistency, like practice, you know? It's empty room, no problem, you close your eyes. You teach the class for five minutes, visualizing how many people are there, getting the feeling, yes, this is awesome. You light that spark, then you go for donuts and coffee. But five minutes, take a consistency of practice. Even harder, I think, for the teacher sometimes than no students. What's harder for the teacher than no students? Those of you teaching, what do you think? Like one student shows up. They're like, hi. And you're like, oh, that's so nice. You're here. Oh, it's just you. You don't have any friends you could call right now. They can come for free. It's not okay. No, it's a private class. Nice, you know? And sometimes the student is like, oh, it's a private class? Oh, I don't like that so much. Uh, you stare at me for two hours. Okay. So I feel like that's harder somehow because you're just two people trying to light that fire. But when there's a community, I feel like, you know, you get five people or more, then there's like a communal feeling and then everybody's energy feeds off of each other. So again, my advice, you have a community, it's precious. You have a teacher, it's precious. You have a consistent practice, it's precious. Take care of it. Don't think that it's worth nothing. Just like you have your teeth, they are precious. Take care of them. Brush every day, morning and evening. Otherwise, they can also go away one day, you know? We don't want that. Also yoga, we don't want it to go away. So this is the idea of consistency. This is what I wanted really to talk about with everyone. I've been practicing now for more than 20 years and I really can say that consistency is really the big, huge key to keeping uh, the, the benefits of the practice and letting those benefits accrue. Now we have time for some questions. Are there any questions from anyone here? Or I've just been talking of donuts and we want donuts. We have not provided any donuts today. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Which doesn't apply probably to a lot of people, but it um, what happens when you go to menopause? That's a good question. So if anyone didn't hear uh, the question, what happens when you go through menopause? I haven't tried yet. 
So I don't have a first person experience, but what uh, you lose definitely from the students that I worked with, then they lose the, 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 the ladies holiday. Then the no more. Correct, now the no more ladies holiday. So ladies holiday goes away. It's related to the menstrual cycle. No menstrual cycle, no more ladies holiday. So it's unfortunate. <laughs> if you can keep some memory. <laughs> so and then so and then there are hormonal changes that are going into the body, obviously, and aging changes that are happening. However, I've seen consistent practice means that you're willing to go in and explore kind of fresh and anew. What is this? Yeah, now there's now there's no more, not only the new moon and the full moon like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe they invent some new holidays yeah. sometime. I didn't know that ladies' holiday when I was having it and not practicing. Uh huh. So, yeah. Maybe you have some in the bank that you can now start to, that you didn't use from before. So you have like a savings account of some right. ladies' holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Unused. We try to use those things, right? We'll keep them all in the bank. Any other questions? Um, do you consider the time of practice just as important as Super good question. So you consider the time for everyone at home. You consider the time of practice important to the consistency. Um, so if you think about training, uh, to train an animal requires consistency as well. And the body responds in the animal nature to the rhythms of life. So it'll be easier to keep a consistent practice if you practice around the same time every day. It's very difficult for the body to practice at dramatically different times. So you can give yourself a window between six and eight. I take practice, you know, so sometimes you'll arrive at six, sometimes at seven, sometimes it's eight, but between that window, you're gonna take practice, you start practice. The, this is give, uh, morning, you know, you, some people say just before 11 a.m. I'm gonna be on my mat. Um, and one of the reasons for that is if you try to do a very intensive physical practice uh, without arrests of approximately 24 hours between, this can be disruptive for the body and it will also disrupt your eating cycles and your sleeping cycles. So if your body just gets trained, I take practice, I brush my teeth, I go take a shower, then I get on my mat. Then the body is just kind of trained for that. If it starts to change, you brush your teeth, you take coffee, you then run, rush out to work. And then that evening you take practice. So then you say you practice at 8 p.m. one day. And you have in your mind, oh, I need to do this at 6 a.m. the next morning. Then you will do two practices within 12 hours. And the body gets so tired in this way. So consistent practice definitely helps around the same time every day. Life situations happen. So I like to give people a window. You know, usually within this window, you're going to start. You can practice in the evening. Just be consistent with the evening practice. That works as well. So we think of when I say that the body is like an animal, it's not, it's not you know, like an, I love animals. And animals really respond well to doing the same thing at the same time. Anybody that has a dog knows that, or even cats, they're like alarm clocks. You know, if you feed the animal at 6 a.m. every day and you sleep until 7, that animal is going to wake you up. Excuse me. You have missed the feeding time. You know, we need to feed me. You're off the clock. So your body should be like that for the practice. Your body should drag itself to the mat so that your body just has this pattern of automatically going to the mat around the same time every day, of going through the motions, which is what you do as second nature. Um, in the same way that, you know, the animals are our little alarm clocks. You know, it's, a, it's time for the walk and they start looking at you. Are we supposed to go for a walk now? You know, and you forgot, but they didn't forget because that the animal nature is programmed around the same time. 
every day. And in the same way, the body should start to desire that. They can even study uh, periods of activity and rests. If you go through a period of activity, then the body wants a period of rest. After a period of rest, the body wants more activity. But if it's activity, 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 total exhaustion. So in this way, practice counts as activity, and then there's a rest period, and then there's another activity, and then there's a little rest period. And then that will help also establish the, the rhythms to fall asleep at night and to move into patterns of dreaming and rest and rehabilitation. But practicing at inconsistent times can also disrupt our sleep patterns. So if you're, if you're used to practicing in the evening, you'll get used to it and you'll fall asleep at night. But the person who practices in the morning will find their sleep disrupted by doing an evening practice. Because then the body is like, is it morning? Is it morning? Shall I get up? We're going to work? What's next? You know? As, a, as another kind of, you know, if anybody is suffering from uh, like jet lag, if you travel and end up in a different time zone, one of the best ways to reset the body clock is to practice at the time that will be your practice time, even if it's miserable, at that new time zone. You know, that's the thing I do when I go to, when I go to Europe, I get up and I just practice at whatever miserable time I need to practice. And it feels like I'm getting on my mat at 1 a.m. or something like that. I'm like, then I'm just just start the training right away. This is where Tim stays in bed. He thinks I'm nuts. So, you know, you got to figure out which type of person you are. But at the same time, really helps. Mm -hmm. Good. Do you have some in the chat from home? Oh, okay. Tell me. The question is about the difference between lead practice and Meister's style. Kendry says to do the lead practice is so much more difficult than the Meister's style. Mm -hmm. What's your advice and comments to this? Yeah. So let me ask everyone a question. You take primary series by yourself versus primary series in a guided class. My source style, guided class. Which one is harder? Guided class, hard. Me too. My source style is kind of like, like Navasana happens. Wow, just in, look, I did it in 55 minutes, you know? And then in the primary series, leg class, me too. Like I'm on like John is your sauce. I'm looking at the clock. How did, well, what's taking so long? So I have an hour to get to here. What have we been doing? You know, I started thinking these questions like that. Like I got things to do. Well, we have John is your I'm extremely impatient, you know? It's too much. Yeah, I think, oh, I can't be here. This is horrible. And then all the chaturangas. It feels like chaturanga forever. And I think in my own practice, I'm doing really well, really good discipline. But then I come into guided class. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's so hard because we always let ourselves off a little of the hook. We always breathe a little faster in the postures that are a little bit easier for us. And we go at our pace. In the guided class, something happens that you need to wait for your friends. So some person, they take a long time to jump back. You take a fast, you, you boom, you jump back. Then you need to sit there and wait for the person who's like dragging that foot back and figuring out how to go to Chaturanga and you have to sit there. So there's a little bit of going at someone else's pace that will always push you outside of your comfort zone. The lesson of a guided class is, is, is a, lesson, a lesson about discipline because you want to do your own thing. I just want to jump through now, but they didn't say stuff to jump through, but I want to jump through. I just want to jump, but you wait. And I said, yeah, we're gonna do it. We have to listen for the counts. So this is a, you know, Sharad is often yelling at people who don't follow the counts. And then he's sometimes he's often saying, when will you learn discipline? Because if you can't do the discipline of just restraining yourself enough to not jump through, because why? Because you want to do Marichasana D for a longer time than everyone else. 
you know, no, right? So, so then they really learn, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, whatever I wanna do, I'll just set it aside. Always being safe with the body. So where safety is something else, but it's that just that, that craving, that clinging to just do what you wanna do. It's hard to work on that. So guided classes are meant to be harder. So it's good for me too. I feel it too. I, I've missed the guided class. Tim and my husband is teaching next uh, Saturday. Uh, so I'm thinking, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll go. I have a, I don't know. The husband is hard to make a discipline with because he has <laughs> too much the personal relationship. And, you know, Tim also, he leaves my class all the time. You know, he's like, oh, sorry, the coffee. Donuts, you know, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, but I miss my guide. I miss the guided classes with my teacher. Like uh, Shahad, he was teaching uh, some of the uh, these online classes. I, I miss them and uh, look forward to when I can take another guided class. Was it the only one or there more? Yes, there are more. There is one about your podcast. That okay. She really enjoyed your last one. Oh, thank you. And she asked, Have you completed your move? Will you be a guest teacher at Miami Life Center? Will it close? Oh, good question. Okay, so in the last um, podcast episode, I talked about the closing of our South Beach location. So all of you who are here now, you know, you know that the Miami Yoga Garage is open. You're here. You're proof that we're open. Um, and so we are fully open here and we are not going to reopen the Miami Beach location. It was just not sustainable. So this is our new location for Miami Life Center. All of our Ashtanga classes will be happening here. As you know, the yoga garage space is kind of a, a multi-use space. So we also have OMSTARS. That's my online channel that's here. We're also considering developing some other styles of, of classes and offerings so we can look for uh, the yoga garage to be really a home for everything about yoga. It was in a, a wonderful shop called The One Who Travels. It's downstairs that has beautiful crystals and all kinds of fun things. And we have a big grand opening for the yoga garage on December 4th, where we're going to have, I'm not going to teach again. So next time I'm teaching. And then we're having uh, like an opening ceremony that day, as well as a blessing puja for the space uh, with a Vedic priest. So please come on December 4th. You can fly in if you want to, or you can also just be there on the Zoom as well. We we'll keep you there if you want to see the, the, the opening festivities. Uh, the, Tim, my husband, for those of you who don't know, he used to be a choreographer in Denmark. He used to have a dance company until I um, you know, imported him to the US. And then uh, he's, there's some talk, I don't know if it's confirmed, but there's some talk that he's going to make some choreography and somebody's going to do some dance something. I'm not sure who the somebody is, but uh, someone, hopefully not me, but uh, you never know. Um, so please come for that. It's also, it's during Art Basel. So we'll have some art things happening that day as well. And I think we're also going to promise some free coconuts or something until they run out. Mm, not eternal coconuts, limit to the coconut limit. Good. Good. More? Finish. Yes. No more. Okay. So there's a question about Sanskrit. Sounds good. Okay. Um, could you tell us what sutra you just broke down for us? That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. So the sutra Satu Dirga Kala Nairantardia, this one is from book one. I think it's 114. So book one, number 14. I think so. It might be 13, but I think it's 14. If you go there in the sutras, you'll see it. Satu Dirga Kala. Just even if you put in Google Satu Dirga Kala, uh, it comes up. I think it's book 114. Mm -hmm. And she says, um, can you recommend some Sanskrit resources? Oh, for the Sanskrit resources, the best thing to do is to find an Indian teacher 
because it's best to learn the language from a native speaker. I can study Sanskrit for my whole life and I'm going to speak it with an accent. Those of anybody who speaks any second language, you know that when you hear people who speak your native mother tongue as a second language, you always hear their accents unless they learned it when they were three years old. Somebody who's going to take up a language when they're 30, 40, something like this. So it's a very rare person that you're going to find who can speak without an accent. I do my best with the Sanskrit pronunciation and I'm going to have an accent for the rest of my life. Even though I've been 20 years trying to say these shlokas. So I can recommend for the Sanskrit resources to find an Indian teacher. There's, um, I think the American Sanskrit Institute has some good teachers. Uh, Manorama uh, is, is also a good Sanskrit teacher based in the U.S., and uh, my uh, chanting teacher, Jayashree, uh, has uh, a chanting course on, on Om Stars, but she's also doing some things herself on via Zoom. Uh, so you can find out these resources like this. But I, and my recommendation is find a native speaker, someone who's, whose first language is Hindi, and learn from them. Like, so maybe you can't find a Sanskrit scholar, but you can find somebody whose first language is Hindi, and you can learn from them. I think this is very, very, very beneficial. And the last question is about pronunciation. Mm -hmm. okay. Is Samastiti He is with a He at the end or Samastiti? Samastiti He, just like Shanti He. So in the Sanskrit grammar, sometimes there is a repetition of the last vowel that ends uh, a, a statement. So Samastiti He is like that. Just like Shanti He, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti He is like that. So this is a grammatical kind of punctuation that happens uh, because of some particular formations within, you know, within the grammar of Sanskrit. So this is happening for samastitihi. So it's not samastiti, but samastitihi. Mm -hmm. So you can go into that for the rest of your life and still be confused. <laughs> Good. Good. Oh, one more. Okay. Okay. Don't take practice on the first day, number one, and then modify the practice uh, when you feel you can come back to the practice and there's not any pain or cramps or anything happening in there. If, there, if there's intense situation happening in here, if you really need to do some asanas, take a yin practice, do a restorative practice, lie over a bolster, but try not to push, twist, squeeze or bend this area when it feels intense don't definitely don't take some pain medicine and go practice definitely don't do that 100 don't do that just in general don't do that try not to take pain medicine and go practice menstrual cycle or not just don't do that then you can then you'll dull your senses and you'll feel oh i feel wonderful 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 you don't feel wonderful you don't feel anything Right. I'm not saying you can never take pain medicine. Just try not to take it on the way into practice. One time I met somebody on, um, in the streets of India who was so obsessed with getting the next posture, but they were in so much pain. And they casually said, India is so wonderful. You just go down to the pharmacy and you buy whatever you want. I've bought the, you know, 1000 grams of ibuprofen. I take it every day before practice. I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Why are you taking that? This is supposed to have a lot of ibuprofen. That's really bad for you, number one. You take it every day? How long? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Kapotasana, I know it. I'm like, no, don't do that. Then you stop taking the thousand milligrams of ibuprofen. What's left? You're gonna be in more pain than you were before. If you need some pain medicine because of some situation that's happening in your life, okay, but I don't try to make sure that no impact is felt during your asana practice. Same thing that goes through, like if you have intense, uh, you know, intense cramps or pain, some women get really bad back pain during their cycle. 
Um, if this, uh, if this happens, you need to take a pain medicine. It's fine. Just don't do that and go and practice because then you'll be, the senses will be dulled and you could actually injure yourself, creating more pain and more harm. Try to practice in as pure a state as possible so that you can feel everything. It's better to practice and feel all your pain than take something that numbs your pain and think that you are on cloud nine when in actuality you're doing more harm than good. Okay? Good. Let's take the Guru Stotram for everyone who's here. We'll do the first two refrains of that and then we'll uh, wrap up the conference for today. Okay? Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo, Maheshwaraha, Guru Sakshat, Para Brahma, Tasmai Shri, Gurave Namaha, Agnana, Temirandasya, Nyananjana, Shalakaya, Chakshurun, Militam Yena, Tasmai Shri, Gurave Namaha, Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone at home. See you next week. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. 
Namaste.